Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Hey, welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where we dive into SaaS strategies, sometimes with the precision of a gold medal winning diver, and other times with the grace of a belly flop. And I think usually I'm more that second one. I don't know about you. But I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft the business you're proud of and the life of impact and freedom that you love. Well, we are still here in Hawaii celebrating a special episode of SAS Fuel. This is episode 99. If you count the trailer, it's 100. So we're celebrating 100 on both episodes this week, Tuesday and Thursday. So like I said, we're still here in beautiful Hawaii. We're on the, the big island. It's uh, fantastic. And uh, you know, we started with a group of super smart and successful entrepreneurs sharing ideas and working on our businesses. And I stayed for some R&R. &R. And I've been doing a lot of scuba diving and exploring. And last night we went to check off a bucket list item and that was diving with manta rays at night. Very, very cool. And so they're, they're kind of cruising in and eating in the, the, the lights and uh, eating plankton. It's way, way cool. Uh, last night we got to watch the sunset, and then it was super dark underwater, which is really good for critter action. And uh, then we got to see the moon rise over the mountain afterwards. I'll post some pics on social. Uh, night diving is just awesome. And I was telling someone this the other day, and they're like, the ocean, like at night, like under the water, like where the scary stuff is, where the sharks are. And like, yeah, that's, that's the one. It's the one we got. And, you know, just wrapping their head around that was hard. There was just, there was no category for it. But I bet you've experienced very much the same thing when you say that you're a founder or an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, like, you mean out there, starting your own thing, working without a safety net, no steady paycheck. I mean, you know, where the sharks are. You're like, yep, that's the one. And you know, entrepreneurs, I think we're just wired differently. Maybe a little difficult to understand, but you know, what drives us? Why in the world would anyone want to go create something, risk failure, risk financial losses, um, you know, risk disappointment, uh, being disappointed by people, not having a team to do the things, you know, all the things that, that they're supposed to be done in business, not having a team, being on your own. And why would somebody leave comfortable dry land and jump in the ocean at night? And I think it's because there's more to life than comfort. You know, comfort and easy, really, it's kind of weird. It becomes uncomfortable when we see that there's a better way, a better solution, a better path forward. And we have the ability to do something about it. As entrepreneurs, we step into the darkness, face our fears, and create that light. And I think it's that willingness to venture into dark places and make a better way. And that's one of the things I really appreciate most about founders and entrepreneurs. It's what makes our economy function. If that stopped, if that innovation stopped, our entire economy would just tank. It's a vital part of our world. And doing it in SaaS, I think, is just so much fun. So whether you've been with us since the beginning or this is your very first episode, I really appreciate you entrusting me with your time and attention. If you want a group of fellow high-growth SaaS founders who are also crazy enough 
to venture into the dark unknown, then check out today's sponsor, Champion Leadership Group. It's the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop themselves, scale their companies, and never walk alone. Supercharge revenue by leveraging our time-tested SaaS growth principles, toolkits, playbooks, and frameworks designed to help you scale ARR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries, celebrate wins and overcome defeats together. Confidently take the right next step that creates a giant leap to profitable growth, premium valuation and freedom. Learn more at championleadership.com. Our expert guest last week was Craig T. Ingram, sales genius and master of go-to-market and expansion product marketing. If you're new to sales or need a sales boost, this is a solid episode for you. Our founder on Tuesday was Jeff Jekyll, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Client Giant. He's a five-time founder who has redefined client appreciation, employee recognition, and just makes it so darn easy to stand out from the crowd. My number one takeaway from that episode was why sending a gift with a logo on it isn't a gift and what to do instead. If you don't know, go check out that episode. This week, we have a number of guests I recorded with live at different events. I'll give you a brief introduction before the interview starts. And of course, our full bios and links are available at sasfuel.com. We also have some return guests with their number one tip for SaaS founders. Super valuable. Really excited about this episode. My first guest this week is Slava Tarasov, co-founder and design director at BN Digital. You know, life is way too short for bad user interfaces, and BN Digital is on a mission to eradicate them and create amazing user experiences in SaaS. Welcome a guy who makes sure that your awesome SaaS is used and loved, Slava Tarasov. Thank you. 
Jeff, I just want to congratulate everyone at SAS Fuel for your 100th podcast coming up. What a great milestone. And thank you so much for uh, sharing your ideas and vision uh, with uh, the ecosystem. And thanks for letting me be part of your journey. Next up, we have Amr Goyle, co-founder and CEO of Bitto. We talked a lot about on the show about how AI is enhancing skills rather than just replacing people. And Bitto is doing just that. It's very cool. They help devs 10x their productivity and output using chat GPT and their IDEs to write tests, code, explain code, and more. Say hello to someone using tech to make better tech. Amr Goyle. Hey, I'm here with Amr Goyle, founder and CEO of Bitto. So, Amr, tell me a little bit about Bitto. What do you do? Yeah, so Bitto is an AI assistant for developers. So we kind of sit in the tools that developers use every day, like their IDE and their, their command line interface, their CLI. And uh, we can help them kind of do everything. It's built on top of OpenAI, GPT uh, 4 and 3.5 and some other models. And so we, they can use it to write code, write test cases, explain code, 
debug problems that they're having, explain to them how to do things. We're finding it's really powerful. Um, it's kind of exciting. Like 100,000 developers are using it. Wow. Um, and they're saying they're seeing a 31% increase in productivity, which kind of blew us away when we, when we really surveyed impressive. them about it. Yeah. 31% is big. I mean, it's something I hear all the time is we need more people, need more people, we need more developers. Yeah. I'm like, come on. And so, I mean, 31%, that's a third more developers, yeah. right? Yeah, so I mean, I think, um, absolutely. I mean, I think AI is gonna create so many opportunities, not just for developers, but in sales and marketing, et cetera. But I think we feel like for developers, it really allows them to do so many more things that they couldn't do before. And, you know, sort of talk about 10Xing them, if you will. And so I think it kind of becomes a real equalizer. So, I mean, this is a little bit of an extreme example, but my nine-year-old, he can't, you know, he's, he's not a developer per se, but he used Bitto to write a whole Chrome extension to go and wow. he, he basically typed two lines. He said, hey, go to eBay. I'm gonna give you a product name. Go to eBay, grab a list of all those products that are on the, on the site, rank them, by, uh, rank them by price and uh, show them to me. And it said, all right, here's your three different files for your Chrome extension. And then he said, well, actually, um, I don't like this, the view. Like, can you make it a little wider? Or can you bold the headline? Wow. And, and rewrite it, and it, it rewrote that. Now that's pretty amazing. You know, I mean, it's like, a simple plugin. Yeah, but like even if you're a professional developer, it still would have taken you like an hour or two, and this did it in like three minutes. You know, that's and pretty impressive. And so um, now that's just like one kind of simple example. Yeah. But we're seeing so many more. Like even senior developers on our team are like, this gets eighty percent of the job done for me, or I'm struggling with a bug. It can immediately sort of give me suggestions about so where the issue might be. Bug code that's yeah. already written. Okay. You can say, here's my code. Here's this bug. What should I do, or what do you suggest? And it's like, here's three potential areas where it might be happening, you know? So, I mean, debugging is one of those things where it's like, takes 80% of the time sometimes. It takes a ridiculous amount of time. Yeah. If you could have some help with that, it'd be really, really nice. Yeah. So is it something, is it a model that's inside the company, or is it public? So like, if you put your security keys in there, Samsung, that, you know, is that something that is exposed to the world, or is it? Yeah, no, so we, um, Security has been kind of something that's been top of mind yeah. for us as we, you know, developers ourselves, you know, spend a lot of time talking to the developing community. I mean, people are very concerned about um, things like, you know, secrets, yeah. passwords, just what happens to my code. So yeah. we never see any of your code. Okay. Um, I mean, we, we never store any of your code. So the code just passes through our API, hmm. goes to the AI models. They don't use it for training. They're not storing it. And then the answer comes back. And so we tried okay. to do a lot to really improve uh, or maximize kind of the security of, of the code. And we're seeing a bunch of enterprises feel very comfortable with that. So one of the things that I've heard from developers, and, and some are really embracing AI, and some are very, very, I don't want to say scared, but they, they don't want to have anything to do with yeah. it, is that some of the code that comes back, you know, a junior developer might think it's really good, but a senior developer would look at it and go, this is, is garbage. Yeah. So what, uh, how do you know if the code is quality that you're getting back? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, um, that's a really good question. I would say that, you know, right now, it's a little bit more of, we find that generally, like we look at how people rate the, you know, responses back, whether it's code or test cases or explaining something, like how they rate the quality of that answer. And we're seeing that kind of trend up, you know, over okay. time. But I mean, I don't think that that's something that we fully cracked yet. I think one of the things that we think is a big opportunity is to build agents 
that kind of perform more complex tasks. And some of those agents can do interesting things like get an answer and then say, let me look at the quality of this answer. And does it meet some threshold of certain things? And then if not, maybe like, let's generate another answer, you know, yeah. and do that iteratively. So I think that there's a lot of ways to improve this and to get to where you feel really good about the quality of the answer coming out is, you know, foolproof, if you will. Yeah. So is the, your AI, is it continuing to learn based on you know, the input and the code that comes back and the feedback? Yeah, so um, so there, I would say it's a little bit complicated answer to that, that question. So, you know, broadly we're using the models, the mainstream models that are out there. Sure. Uh, one of the things we view is that the, the number of models are exploding. Yeah. So, you know, OpenAI, ChatGPT was kind of this big thing late last year, but now there's a company, Anthropic, that has some pretty phenomenal models. One of them, they came out with a model that can handle 100,000 tokens, so about three, 400,000 pairs. I mean, it's like hundreds of pages of text. So now all of a sudden you can do it really long, you know, complicated things with it. You know, Google's coming out with models. So we're seeing that there's a plethora of models. Many of them don't allow you to like train them specifically uh, for your own things. Some of them do. So we're looking at all that. But one of the big things that we are working on is to be able to allow you to have us understand your local code base. A lot of people call that training. Technically, it's not really training. Sure. But for the you know, casual observer, it feels like, hey, this knows my code base. And that comes up in sales too, right? The sales analogy is like, hey, I just had a meeting with this customer. Then you write the follow-up email. But you'd love for them to have the context of, well, what are the last five meetings I had? Or what's the actual opportunity that we're talking about? So can you pull that out of Salesforce? Right. And as you're writing that email, take that into account. So the same way is with, you know, Codebase. What if you're writing a new module and you're like, but I want you to use the authentication method that we, mechanisms that we use. And so how do you essentially understand how you authenticate a user? Or what are the parameters that you use? And then incorporate that, you know? So how did you come up with the idea for Bitto? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, you know, kind of evolution. Like, we actually started with working on collaboration for developers. Okay. We were trying to build tools that would bring sort of Slack and Google Docs type experience to the developer's IDE. And it was just kind of a journey as we were working on that. And, you know, people would say, oh, I'd love to try this. But then when we actually gave it to them to use it, they didn't really want to use it. They were kind of like, well, we just end up doing I mean, they would say, well, we'll use it. And then they didn't use it. They would just do all their collaboration in Slack. And then they said, but we could, this would be really helpful in remote environments to train new people because they're really lost on the code base. Hmm. And so people were like, help us with that. And then we were starting to think about AI as a way to help explain code and help them answer questions about code. And then, you know, this kind of explosion happened late last year with GPT 3.5. And we really thought that, wow, this is, something's really happening here. And we think this is like a really interesting opportunity to empower developers and so we just kind of got really focused on that and kind of went from there it's good it seems like kind of the, the next iteration of uh you know it used to be you write everything by hand and yeah. then we have libraries and now you've got ai assist yeah i mean i i wish this thought had been my own but it's something i saw out on twitter it's like you really look at the history of like software development, it's just increasing levels of abstraction. Yeah. You know, you started with like assembly code and then, you know, then it was like, hey, we have like basic languages, but like you said, you, you know, there's libraries you have to include. Then people started coming up with frameworks. 
you know, languages that do garbage collection for you so you don't have to think about it. Yeah. Well, this is in another way, like another layer of abstraction where it's kind of like, I can use English or I can write in French or in Chinese or Japanese and get something that I, I can want. I just ask for what I want and get it. Get it, you know, or like I can get help, you know, in my kind of native language. So, I mean, I don't think we're at the promised land yet, but this is just another, you know, like I said, layer of abstraction to make it easier to accomplish my goal, get to my outcome. And I think that's where we feel like, you know, there's obviously all this talk about like, oh, are people going to lose their jobs and all that stuff. And, you know, I think in some ways, like you, you will see that, you know, uh, some loss in the short term. But I think what it actually unlocks is people to be a lot more productive. Right. You know, right. and so I think there's a lot of software that doesn't get built today because you're like, well, you know, for the amount of money and investment we have to make to do that, it's not worth it. Like, right. just every company says, well, this feature, you want to build this feature, but it only appeals to 5% of the users. Right. And so we got a roadmap, we only have so many people, but now it's like, well, I can build that feature. Uh, the, now I can go down to like, as long as the feature appeals to 10 people, we're going to build it because. It appeals to somebody and the cost of developing that has gone down. Um, or I had this idea for an app and now I can make it. So I think that that like frees up an incredible opportunity to kind of democratize access to that software. I think like no code, low code development has done that to some degree. Yeah. Do you see that same thing 100%. happening in AI? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's sort of like low code, no code in a way, but like for tackling far more complex Kind of use it seems cases. like then the, the next iteration of even that because you're just asking for something, yeah, not like taking things that exist and assembling them, yeah, but just hey, I want this and there it is. Well, and I think that's kind of something that's people are thinking about in a lot of different areas. Like you know, uh, Zapier has come out with some AI tools. I mean, still really early, but like you know, instead of having to configure a Zap to connect this system that system, now I just tell it speak in or type in what I right. want and it connects it. Or, I mean, I've, you know, Huge advantage there. talking to a lot of software companies are thinking about, can I help users configure my product? So a lot of products have a lot of capabilities, but the users don't unlock most of those capabilities right. because they're like, it's too much work to configure it. And I got right. to learn all your workflows and tools and I'm busy. And so, but if it's like now a five minute job, you just be like, well, I want this, you know, imagine if I'm in like, I don't know, ClickUp or Asana and just be like, hey, I want to just tell you that, like, if an email comes in from this, put it to this work group. Right. After 24 right. hours, if somebody hasn't, like, looked at it, send it to John. If he hasn't looked at it in 24 hours, like, send an email to his boss and then, then route it to this person. I mean, all of a sudden, like, okay, we can set that up pretty easily. And now you have a much more sophisticated enterprise-level workflow. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, either writing really complex statements to do that, there are people really good at that. Yeah. Or sometimes you can articulate it to somebody that is good at that, and like, oh, that's easy here, and it's done. Totally. And now you're taking all of that out, and you're just you're asking for it, and it's done. Yeah. And so I think there's a big ability to kind of enable a lot of those scenarios for developers as well. You know. So. So what's the future of development? Uh, I mean, I think it's you know hopefully you're going faster, you know fewer bugs, you know fewer headaches, like more well-designed code, well-scaled, you know, less bug-free. So, I mean, I think hopefully it's more, better, faster, you know. What about the security? So if AI is writing code, 
Are they thinking about like the, the top 10 you know, OWASP? Are they using secure development practices? Or is that really still up to the developer to review? No, what I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, we, we think there's like a huge opportunity to help developers with security just as much as kind of all these other things. Like two of the big use cases people have is like they, they give us some code and they say, help me make this code more performant. And they say, you know, help do a security check on this code. Like, can you help me see if there's really any secu smart. security vulnerabilities, right? Or like, can I, could I have an, uh, you know, open source vulnerability here, some sort of injection, you know, let's say I'm messing around with SQL. So, I mean, we think that there's like a huge ability to help developers with all these use cases. That's fantastic. Outstanding. Great. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Nice to talk to you. Hey, Jeff. Massimo Arrigoni here with the B team. Congrats to you and your team to get for getting to episode 100 of the SaaS Fuel podcast. That's That's amazing. It's a lot of great content. I love podcasts like yours because from every episode, you can always come away with like a little nugget of wisdom that helps you become a better entrepreneur or just better at doing your job. And back when you interviewed me, that was episode 34. I talked about uh, one of the things that, that I believe in the most and products that work the best typically come out of teams and people that are really close to the problem. They, they know the problem that they're solving so well that the product just naturally flows out of that knowledge. And so I want to double down on that and just, uh, reiterate how important it is as we grow in our companies and our businesses to stay close to the problem. Five things that you can do that we can all do to stay close. One, ask sales to let you know when they've had a conversation with a client that just highlighted the frustration, the, the pain points that, that they were going through. If they record those conversations, even better, listen to those conversations. Number two, ask your CX team or customer service team to highlight a ticket, a conversation, an interaction that they had with a customer that was particularly frustrated. Understand that frustration. Where is it coming from? What else can you do to help that customer overcome it? Number three, ask marketing when they create case studies. Read those case studies and ask questions. Uh, invite the marketing team to go even deeper into the why. Why, why, why is the customer happy about your product? Uh, let's not stop at sort of the surface, you know, so sometimes a little bit of BS. Let's dive deeper. Why are they really happy about what you've built? Uh, the purpose of a case study is not just to be a marketing asset, but to really double down on what's successful to become even more successful. And then number four, ask your product team to let you know when they've had a really good customer interview. And if they do jobs to be done interviews, even better. Hopefully they can record them and you can listen to some of them. Just let, let them know that you want to know when they've had a, an interview that is particularly helpful. And then number five, go to trade shows, go to conferences and ask questions. You're there, you, the entrepreneur, the, the, the business leader, the product leader. You're not there to sell. You're there to listen and get closer and closer to the very problems that you're solving. As we grow, it's so easy to let distance come into place between you and that problem that you're solving. We don't want to let that happen. Reduce the distance, stay close to the problem, and that's gonna help all of us build the best products we can build. Thanks again for listening. 
Thank you for your podcast. Keep going. It's really helpful. And I wish you and your team the best success with the podcast and the rest of your business. You know, once in a while, I meet a founder with a fresh take on an old idea. And today, that is Brandon Gaddy, co-founder of Letter Labs. They're making direct mail great again with true personalization at scale. But check this out. It's not just direct mail marketing. There are lots and lots of use cases. How about sending a personalized card, handwritten card, to a client? Pretty cool stuff. You know, Brandon made me think differently about mail and how to use it. And maybe he will you too. Welcome, Brandon Gaddy. Hey, I'm here with Brandon from Letter Labs, who is revolutionizing how we're marketing. And it's not the channel that you might think. So Brandon, tell me a little bit about what you do at Letter Labs. I think there's a clue in the name. Absolutely. You know, so with Letter Labs, we're a uh, direct mail provider. But what makes us special is that we've delved our own robotics from scratch that use a real pen to handwrite each card. And what you get is a uh, authentic handwritten card read by robots. But the closer you look, the more you can tell is actually, you know, actually written by a real pen. So this is actually, it is a, a pen and a machine. It's it not just like a printed cursive font. Not printed whatsoever. You know, we use uh, real uh, ballpoint pens, have to replace them. Uh, but uh, that gives us like the most authentic experience. We've tried it out a lot of different things, but you know, with a printer, you can tell that it's fake. And oh, yeah. I think it really yeah. detracts from the experience, which is, you know, really what we're super focused on. Yeah, I get those in the, the mail sometimes. It's like the, the yellow legal pad. And it's, it's obviously just a printed font on that. They went to all the trouble to, to do that and even make it look handwritten. Right. And it's so cheesy. It is cheesy. So is that, but you don't do that. We don't do that. No, I mean, I think uh, what we're going after here is that uh, a personalized experience where the recipient opens a card and they're not focused on, is this real? They're focused on, you know, uh, what did you actually, so what did you write? Uh, what's the message? And, you know, oftentimes they're left, you know, impressed, reach out to you and uh, say, hey, I really appreciate this. Let's talk more about your offer. Uh, and it, it works really, really well from a marketing perspective. That's very cool. So it, it's really a more personal touch, and, but it's not something that you're, you're going to get writer's cramp having to write a whole bunch of these. So you can do it at scale. You can. But it still has that personal feel. Absolutely. You know, thanks to uh, mail merge technology, uh, we're able to, you know, take a template and personalize it to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people if, you li if you'd like. You know, all you need is the data in your CRM. You know, change out fields like the first name, uh, different variables depending on the industry you're in. But it is really a, a personalized experience. And I think the what we've seen is more personalized you can make your, your message, the better the response rate and the conversion. And uh, the way this really stands out is that people aren't used to receiving personalized marketing communication, especially right, right. via mail. And so that's where uh, we really you know excel. That's cool. So it's not like a sales letter. You said it's a card. It's a card. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So what do you? What kind of a message? Or is there there are graphics? And what is, is it like? A, what kind of card is it? So it's really up to you. We have different form factors between a card and an invitation envelope to a postcard, um, and the message is really up to you. And so if you've ever used Canva, uh, yeah. you know how how easy it is to you know drag and drop you know, your, your design. Uh, and think of our platform as the same way, where you can get on there. Uh, put your branding or use one of our pre-made templates for a thank you card or, or whatever. whatever. Um, you can get in there, change to one of our 60 different handwriting styles and really make a, a personal you know, card that you'd like to, to send to your recipient uh, all in just a few minutes. You have like a really messy handwriting style because that would be my... You know, <laughs> not as messy as mine, but we, have, we, we definitely do. And, and we, we spend a lot of time to, to make it so that the handwriting styles 
really come out as authentic and you know not too uh, too perfect. You know, so we started like out that. they look too nice, and then we've really you know dialed it back to make it look uh, you know more, more realistic, human. more human. More is, human. Uh, exactly. I like that. Yeah, is that it's supposed to be personal? Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 I like that. So how did you come up with the idea? You know, so uh, I actually have another uh, e-commerce business, uh, and during the pandemic, realized that. Uh, there's a population of customers who are purchasing, uh, you know, 10 to 50 times more product than uh, everybody else. Wow. I realized that uh, through email, uh, text messaging, even picking up the phone and calling them, it just wasn't really effective to kind of scale that business. I actually sat down and hand wrote 500 cards. Uh, it was a hit, you know, sales, you know, definitely accelerated. But at that point, I realized, okay, I need to focus on the, the handwriting because I think we really actually have something here. And so... Uh, that was during the pandemic. Uh, you know, built a team, and uh, myself, and my co-founder, have been working on this for about three years now, and uh, you know, have grown, growing it ever since. That is a pretty cool idea. So, do you do this primarily for the the customers that have repeat purchased, or do you use it for cold outreach, or what are the use cases? You know, so there's uh, three main use cases. It's going to be uh, uh, cold outreach to you know get new customers uh, or okay. uh, leads, I should say. Uh, there's going to be relationship building to, to make sure, you know, if you have customers, let's, you know, make sure they feel appreciated, you know, to maintain that. And also uh, a win back perspective uh, also works uh, oh, super, super good well, idea. you know. And so um, that's from a business perspective. You know, we also have, you know, consumers using our, our cards for anything from, you know, weddings to, to you know, Christmas cards. And so really the applications are, are, are all over. But, you know, the, the real power of this, from my perspective, is going to be the, you know, getting new customers and through, uh, through outreach. That would have been great years ago if we could have sent thank you cards for, for gifts like that. That's a really cool idea. Mail merge. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So things will be expanding into, you know, more, more as we go. But honestly, business is really where we're most focused. Sure. Well, that's where the money is for sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And that the volume. That is a great idea. How can people learn more about uh, Letter Labs? Well, you know, they could uh, check out our website at uh, www.letterlabs.com. That's L-E-T-T-R-L-A-B-S.com. And yeah, check Very it out. Cool. Yeah, from the South, I say letter, like, yeah, L-E-D-D maybe. But no, it's L-E-T-T. Like, <laughs> L-E-T-T, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a real letter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's cool. awesome. Awesome. Hi, Jeff. Congratulations on the 100th episode of your amazing podcast. That is quite an accomplishment. I know I've been at mine for eight years. It's just a matter of getting up every day, finding those amazing guests so that you are really benefiting your audiences as they listen. And it's no small task. So hats off to you. Congratulations. Great job on your show. Our final guest on today's episode is another founder who is disrupting a legacy industry, Chris Parashevsky, founder and CEO at MindPal. You know, they are using AI to sift through resumes, avoid keyword stuffing, and find great candidate matches, plus much more to ensure that candidates are a great fit for the role and culture. Give it up for Chris. Hey, I'm here with Chris from MindPal. And they are revolutionizing talent recruitment development and making recruitment great again. So, hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey, Jeff, it's great to have you here in San Francisco. It's a great place to be, the Austin Conference. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, you know what you're doing with talent management and recruiting and making yeah. it better. So, probably you heard about recruitment, and a lot of people are struggling with how slow this process oh, is. Yeah. And 
incredibly oh, slow. Yeah. So we're trying to like do a lot of automation behind the scenes, but the interface that you're interacting with is a human-like robot. It's like your robotic recruiter, and you can ask him a question about who are you looking for, and we give you those candidates super fast. So that's the. So instead of posting ads or going out and just doing searches yeah. and endless communications Which back takes and forth, weeks. Oh, yeah. it, it does. It does. Yeah. So you're just asking a question. I'm looking for a PHP developer with five years experience, exactly. and it's going to give you candidates. And and we can iterate. So let's say you you want more senior different geography, like languages, like PHP, but also with that, you know, they do JavaScript. And we keep on sending you like super fast profiles until you are happy. I like it. So I could say I want a salesperson that actually sells stuff, but that, yeah. yeah. And we also try to explain why the person is a fit. So trying to ask more sophisticated questions to you. And from there, like, here's why John will be a perfect fit for your business. So then you're like, okay, I'm convinced. Let's do a call. Yeah. So does it work with soft skills as well and like culture fit or is it just skills based? Yeah, so we collect as many like data points about the candidates. So it's both hard and soft skills. And from that, of course, you're looking for experience and for hard skills, but we're humans. So we like other folks just to be nice and to work. Sure. As we do with a culture fit, yeah. So how did you come up with the idea of, of using AI for an application like this? Yeah, so started like two years ago, we were struggling because our tool of our HR girls went for maternity leave exactly the same time, you know, COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're like, we have zero recruiters and like we have so much stuff to work on. So we're struggling to find, you know, some automation, some stuff for ourselves. And we figured it out. So that was kind of my co-founder. He's very brilliant. And from there, like, yeah, let's maybe instead of just using for ourselves, let's keep on building and we'll start kind of licensing for our partners, yeah. That is really, really smart. So is it your own database or are you accessing data yeah. from other sources? We, we, we are building our own database. So that's that's the kind of behind the scene, that's our kitchen. Uh, and it's, it is growing. We are kind of leveraging a lot of these uh, existing portals where we can find and invite candidates to the pool, making sure they're available. So whenever you are looking, like on Airbnb, they're right there. So how do you build both sides of the network at the same time? Because you need employers that are looking for people and yeah. you need candidates for them yeah. to find. So you're really building both sides. Was that a challenge? I mean, it's a stretch as typically with marketplaces. So you need to kind of balance the demand and supply. So keeping both sides of the equation happy. So we try to be like more specifically focused on either the geography or the, like the specific vertical to make sure that we'll have like enough of, of both sides. But as, as we grow, we find some ways to like accelerate our growth. So yeah. So is your background sales and marketing or development or you know, where do you fit in? Yeah, we are we're basically uh, both co-founders are technical. Okay. So we are kind of software engineers that like to be lazy and <laughs> don't do you know too much. And yeah, recruitment is one of these things like you either hire a person or you yeah, you're basically in this limbo of there's so much work to do and you need to find a person or yeah, maybe you can automate. So this is how, it was a problem for our ourselves, a yeah. big problem. Yeah. So how is it being a technical founder and then you're going from leading like a tech team to really leading or, or an organization? Yeah. Uh, is that challenging? It is, yeah. So I prefer, you know, to be a coder and like a shy, shy person just working in my computer and computer is more or less predictable and humans are, are not. But the <laughs> no, same, we're not. 
but at the same time, it's possible to just learn all those kind of soft skills. So I believe the same time you can learn language, the same time you can learn a soft skill, uh, a managerial skill. It just takes you know energy and time, but yeah. Definitely you do, doable. You do very, very well. I would never think that you had a personality where you'd be wanting to just like hide away and just code and, and not be a people person because you, you really seem like a great people person to me. Yeah, I mean, it was a long uh, story of my life. So yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a journey. Yeah. So what was it that made you break out of your shell and really engage people and, and kind of develop that part of yourself? Um, I feel it was, I was always kind of founder by heart. So yeah. my family, I was kind of uh, very close to my gr grandmother uh, and she was telling me stories about her father being kind of this uh, guy from the poorest guy in the village turning the richest guy in the village and she Love was that. so proud about him. I was like, oh my God, she's <laughs> such in love with him. So I don't want to disappoint my you know, grandma and maybe, yeah, I'll try to like compete with that kind of story. So that was always, you know, in my early, early days. And from there, yeah, I'm born and raised in, in Europe, right? So we're on this Eastern part of the uh, Iron Curtain. So when, when it fell down, it was such an opportunity for us that we feel like so lucky in the yes. last 30 years. Yeah, so. So what country are you from? So originally born and raised Poland. Okay. And tried to spend like 30% of my time here in the Bay Area kind of like meeting people, conferences, networking, and the rest time in, in, in Poland, building the product and working with the team. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so where can people learn more about you and, and MindPal online? I believe the best way to learn about us is LinkedIn. We actually have posted a demo, how it looks like. Okay. So we can find it pretty help, inter interesting, like 30 second de demo, how it works. Uh, yeah. And I'm pretty approachable from LinkedIn. so. Yeah, that's Excellent. definitely a good place. We'll make sure and link that uh, in the podcast. Yeah. So thank you, Chris. It's great talking with you. Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure. And thank you for having me. Hopefully, this is interesting. My name is Luke Homan. I am the Chief Innovation Officer at Applied Frameworks. And I am so excited for my friend, Jeff Means, who just released his 100th podcast. This is a big deal, people, because you have to be consistent. And not only do you have to be consistent, you have to be good to last more than uh, even just a few episodes in the world of podcasts. I love Jeff's show because it talks about SaaS fuel. And what do you need to keep fueling your SaaS business? You need profit. So for anyone who hits up me on LinkedIn, I will give you a $99 fee for joining our community. And in the process, I will send you a copy of our new book, Software Profit Streams. Coupled with Jeff's podcast, this book, gorgeous book. It is gorgeously illustrated, people. It's the best looking book you've ever seen. Along with Jeff's podcast, this book will help you use that fuel to keep powering your SaaS business. Congratulations, Jeff. I cannot wait to hear you in action for another thousand shows. Thanks again to our guest today for being awesome and sharing your journey and insights. You can find contact info bios and links on our site, sasfuel.com. A lot of goodies there, especially with this episode. So all those links, highlights, resources, full show notes are available. Again, sasfuel.com. You should also check out our YouTube channel. 
all these interviews are there, plus full episodes, shorts, outtakes, some crazy things. Why landing on my face today? Wherever you're listening, please hit subscribe or follow. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a special Founders Hat Rack. Instead of wearing all those hats, hang them up, focus on what you're best at. And join us again next Thursday for another multi-guest episode. It's also episode 100. Really, really good. More live guests, more top tips from past founder guests. And I'll see you next time. Aloha. Mahalo. That's a thank you. And I'll see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Bye. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.